Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Amanda Aliquin. If you love this podcast and want to support it, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continue to bring on amazing guests. There's also now timestamps in the show notes, so you can jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. The other way that you can support the show is by sharing it with another person who enjoys jujitsu. Send them your favorite episode and let them become part of the community and learn from some of the greatest minds that grappling and jujitsu have to offer. You can also now keep up with the show on the newly launched Threads app as an extension of Instagram under the same handle at Abe Maynard, which is A-B-E-M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Here I will interact with listeners, take guest suggestions, and partake in conversations about fitness, strength and conditioning, jujitsu, human performance, and grappling. Amanda Alquin is a second-degree black belt and multi-time world champion. She is a contracted one championship fighter who will make her debut this Thursday at the Lumpany Boxing Stadium against Tammy Musumeci on July 14th in Bangkok, Thailand. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, Amanda Aliquin. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy training schedule. Fight coming up next week, so I'm so stoked that we were able to lock this in beforehand. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So you said anxiety is kicking in a little bit. Yeah. You're starting to feel the, the fight jitters coming up. July 14th, you're going to be in Thailand for this one? Yes. Yeah, my first time. So what's, what is the training schedule like when you're seven days away from, one, being in a different country, long plane flight, and fighting? So uh, the week of. So, you know, I've traveled to Abu Dhabi before for, like, the Abu Dhabi World Pro. And I've done the ADCC yep. and stuff like that. So um, the week of, I focus mostly on adjusting to the time change if I have to. That's like my biggest thing. Um, and yep. then um, sticking to like circuits and then just drilling. So usually I like to do intervals in my training. I like to do one week super hard. And then the next week I t focus more on just technique and circuits and weights and stuff like that. And then the next week I focus on a lot of training, like, you know, just hard, hard training. Um, so I like to do intervals with that. So coming up for fight week, it's kind of balanced out perfectly. It's basically my, my rest, like my calm down week where I just focus on circuit training and just um, focusing on drills. And then in this case, adjusting to the time difference. Yeah, there's a whole world ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Do you? So I, I've always wondered, when you're competing with in the no-gi set, right, whether it's ADCC, IBJJF, whether you're in a, a – one championship event are you also mixing in gi instruction when you're teaching like classes or working with other students or are you really laser focused in on only no gi training oh no i like doing both i like doing both so uh, we do offer at my program here in downtown west palm we do offer both gi and no gi um so on the days of gi i'll normally train gi and then sometimes towards the end i'll take off my gi top and then do some rounds or do some extra drills and the nogi and stuff. But for the most part, I don't like to just shy away and focus on one. I'm not to say that I'm only, I'm focusing on both, um, but I don't like to take away the gi even if I'm training. It's also too like a little fresh of a, like um, a breath a, a, a breath of fresh air, you know, to kind of. Yeah. Sometimes no gi is just a lot of like you know cardio going going going. Gi yeah. kind of slows it down a little, and the gi's fun, man. You get to like. You know, get use the lapel, use the gi pants and stuff like that, different techniques. So I like doing both. Yeah, it's always struck me as an interesting thing about this, like the sports structure of jujitsu, is that you have these two different modalities, but they are very different in pacing and athletic output. So I think of like, uh, let's just talk about another sport, for example, right? Like soccer. So if you play f soccer or football, you train in the same uh attire you go the field's always the same and so you're just you're regulating your ability as a player and then uh your output but gi and no gi are very different in terms of the demands in the moment right like having a lapel and not having a lapel are in it's such a different effect on your forearms your lats your body your ability to engage and hold isometric tension all this kind of stuff so i've heard from many different people y you would think right that going into an event like this you isolate 
you completely hone in only 100% on no-gi training, and that's all that you do in anticipation of the bout because of the specificity. But I've heard from so many people that they keep they keep it mixed all the way up to the point. And so you're saying part of that is maybe you can elaborate a little bit on this like breath of fresh air, because I think that that's a really interesting point on that. What is it about getting back into the gi, even though you have a fight coming up so close, that feels like a breath of fresh air, that feels refreshing? So I always tell people like, and maybe, you know, there's some people that will combat me on this, but... Um, I think in order, they kind of complement each other in a way. It's like in gi, you understand, you start to learn and appreciate and understand more like technical, more of like the traditional art. Whereas no gi, it's more so like, it's a combination of like the, the grappling, the wrestling, you know, the takedowns and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, I feel like they both complement each other in a way. Um, because if you have great cardio in no gi, chances are that you're probably going to have great cardio in, in gi too. But, you know, if you have good gripping in gi and a good understanding of, like, the high-level techniques when it comes to the lapel and stuff like that, I feel like if you use that in no gi, you'll have a great way of understanding newer techniques or, like, in this case, leg locks. Leg locks are, like, the newer thing nowadays. And for a lot of people, it's gibberish. For a lot of people, and for a long time, it was, like, either shunned or it was just too complicated to learn, you know? Totally. So I feel yeah. like if you are a worm guard person and you can you got that down, I feel like if you put your mind to learning, you know, uh, leg entries and stuff like that and the different type of attacks and setups, I feel like you'd be very good at it. Um, just because you have that understanding of using the gi. And I feel like the gi is a little bit more complicated in, in my perspective just because it's, it's you're using a material versus using the other person's body, you know? Um, it right. kind of throws that in there, but... Um, I, I personally like to do both. I feel like if you want to get good at one or the other, like I said, it's a perfect marriage. Um, and yeah. also, too, I competed, I want to say when 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 uh, COVID hit, I competed Nogi for a long time. I feel like I competed Nogi yeah. for like the last two, three years straight. So just being able to put the pajamas back on, I'm just like, what are we going to learn now today? Like, I get to hold on to someone. I get to slow someone down, you know, or... And me being yeah. smaller, sometimes going against the bigger guys, being able to pull them and grab something versus in yeah. Nogi, I'm like hanging on them like on a tree, you know, a koala bear on a tree. <laughs> I feel like the gi kind of helps me a little and, you know, vice versa for both. Hello, friends. Please let me take a minute to share my experience about why I love my sponsor, AG1. I started taking AG1 because I believe that health starts on the cellular level and believe that gut health is as important as brain health. Between surfing, strength training, jujitsu, striking, and running through businesses, I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I drink AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens, I've done a solid for myself and my well-being. As you may know, I'm a creature of habit, and adding AG1 to my daily regimen is an easy-to-do, tasteful hack that gives me assurance that I'm building my health 365 days a year. So if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com A-B-E. That's drinkag1.com A-B-E. Check it out and take advantage of the offer. I was thinking about this exact thing on Monday and Wednesday because right now through the summer we have like no gi class will lead into the gi class. So I'll always go for the first one then just stay through. And I was like, it's almost nice to go from no gi training into gi training. It's almost like a, st like a foot off the gas pedal for a second. And it does for someone, you know, I'm kind of like mid-height, mid-weight for our academy. And it does give a different understanding and feel when you go with someone much bigger because when you're in that no-gi exchange there's a lot of wrestling going on there and when you're outweighed by 60 40 pounds or something like that it's just it's a different beast but when you can slow people down and use that technique it completely changes the game i'm curious with your your level of expertise how long you've been doing this how much you've competed the multiple disciplines i was just watching the uh wno event with Marigali and it's really fun watching him in Nogi because you see him utilize aspects from his gi game almost like leg entries into De La Hiva but without the the grips yeah. on the pants and the sleeves so when you assess your game 
your ability to win in multiple different rule sets, what do you feel like gi has taught you about no gi? And what do you feel like no gi has taught you about gi? So I feel as far as gi has taught me in no gi, um, more so learning to, like when you're using the lapel and stuff like that, you get to learn how to shift, you know, back and forth uh, the person's body. Mm -hmm. Being able to use like a teeter-totter position, you know, being able to push-pull, right? Because you have the yep, gi, the yep. lapel. So I noticed that in no gi, you don't really have anything to do that. But if you right. can manage to manipulate the person's weight, like if you're pushing them mm -hmm. and they start pushing back into you, you can snap them down into like a guillotine. Or if they're pushing into you and you start pushing out, you can heist up when they're so hell-bent on like pushing into you. So I feel like as far as yep. gi teaching in no gi, it's taught me like being able to manipulate the person's weight with a push or pull. So in nogi, I like doing that a lot. And being smaller, I noticed that because I can't use that much strength, especially with me being the smaller person in the room like 99% of the time, I've noticed using my speed to slow the person down, then being able to set up my attacks works really well for me. So for gi, being able to use a lapel like push-pull, using that in nogi has helped me a lot. Being able to use that push-pull method to set up some of my attacks. And then, um, so you're, you're saying like, so even if, if we're in a nogi exchange, maybe where, where you wouldn't be able to grab the back of the elbow or you wouldn't be able to grab the sleeves, you're using your gi grips to create that same leverage system to bait people into doing the wrong thing. And then you capitalize on that. Yes. And that's something that you're pulling directly from your time in the gi and training and learning these leverage systems. Yeah. So like, I for like instance, that. like you're using the lapel to break the person's posture down, right? How would you do that yep. in nogi? It would most likely be like collar ties and stuff like that. So yep. in that position, say we're in like the half guard, like the Z guard position. Um, if the person's kind of being a stalemate and just sitting there heavy on their legs, sit heavy on their butt, you know, not really attacking, kind of just sitting there on their knees. What I'm going to start to do is try to collar tie heavy to get you to try to peel that off. And then chances are that with my far side arm, I'm pushing your far side shoulder to get you to move back and to bait you to come back in. To get, you know, to get some movement there. So just trying to manipulate your yep. weight to try to get you to attack so then I can set up my attacks. Um, and then in, in no gi, what it has taught me in gi, for me it's the speed. It's to keep like a high yeah. pace. Like no gi for me, like I said, I'm usually the smaller one in the room. So using like a high speed nonstop, um, utilize, utilizing that in the gi along with the gripping and breaking the posture, I feel like you become like a little Tasmanian devil. So yeah. for sure, the cardio aspect of no gi has complemented my gi game, and like the gripping, believe it or not, and like um, manipulating the weight in the gi has complemented yeah. my no gi game. Are you doing extra cardio outside of your training output? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in addition to gi training, in addition to no gi training, you're what are you doing? Running, rowing, assault bike? Like, what does that kind of structure look like? Because I feel like most people, granted. A lot are hobbyists, right? They're not world-class competitors like yourself. But a lot of people are kind of like, I'll just get my cardio from training. And as a lifetime, you know, as a coach and personal trainer, I know that there's major advantages that you're missing out on by not also training your cardiovascular system yeah. outside of the academy, even if you're training multiple days a week. So maybe you can talk about this from two different points. One being in like fight camp and then one being outside of it. What does your cardiovascular training look like for those two things? So to be completely honest with you, it's the same whether I'm in or not in camp. Um, so yep. the way I like to do it is I've accepted that I am zombie meat. I do not run. I am not a runner. <laughs> I've accepted it. And if the world were to go to where World War Z zombies were in the play, yeah. I'm done. I'm just going to submit, yeah. especially when they're running that fast. Um, I'm not a runner, so I've, I've learned that a long time ago. And it's not because I don't want to run. I would love to run, but I've had, like, some partial t from, again, leg locks and stuff like that. I've had, like, partial tears and my meniscus, my ACLs and stuff. And sometimes when I do run or even try to run long distances, like, my cap is two miles. After two miles, I feel like my knee's going to explode. So I just, I've just yeah. given up running. So I like to do, like, high-intensity training, um, interval training. So the way my, my workouts are set up, and when I do lift, it's probably like four times a week. And people think I'm crazy when they do work out with me because they're like, 
are you done yet? You know, um, I love lifting. I've loved it. I've done like cross. I started doing CrossFit back in like 2013, and like you know, I stopped and started doing more weightlifting, powerlifting. I've done all types of lifting with different instructors. Um, so I just kind of like took everything from everyone and just kind of made my own little my own little setup. So yeah. like um, a warm up, I would always do a warm up with like six different exercises that kind of targets all areas of the body to make sure I'm warm. Um, pull ups yeah. are always a thing, whether I'm seated pull ups or just regular pull ups. I love pull ups now. Um, that's always in my warm up, and I'll do three rounds of that. Usually the magic number is anywhere from like six to twelve reps. Um, and then yeah. I'll start my power part of the workout. And during my power part, usually takes me like a good thirty to forty five minutes. I like taking my time, and I like lifting heavy. And it's mostly just like functional lifts, like front squat, back squat, power cleans, um, strict push presses, hip thrusters, a single leg like deadlifts. You know, like not really. I'm not really big on actual deadlifting heavy, but I will do like a manageable weight and do like isolated lifts with my like single legs and stuff. Um, and then after that's done, I'll go into a circuit training. Um, and what I like to do is, depending on what I have coming up, I like to implement that with the circuit. So I like doing 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. And I usually do four high like intensity workouts. So whether it's burpees, jumping squats, um, anything that involves like fast-paced um, maximum effort, because it's 20 seconds. And the 10 seconds that you get in between those, uh, those four exercises, which is a total of two minutes, um, yeah. it's just, you'd running to the next station. So you'd be surprised like when you're done doing burpees and you're running to the next station, you probably have like two seconds to take a deep breather and then just start into your jumping squats, you know? But think about that exact thing, right? Like you're in a nogi exchange. What do the exchanges typically look like? Exactly. It's scramble, scramble, scramble for maybe 15, 20 seconds. You get a pause where either you're dominating them or they're not dominating you, and then your hip bridge, you're trying to get out of there. It's like yep, that's exactly, that exact structure. That's exactly why I do it. Exactly. So I try to manipulate my style, and my style is like, again, I'm always high-paced, high-drive, and I have even like people where I work at, like my boss calls me Crackhead Bob because I'm constantly just like on one pace. I'm very, very high energy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> You might be, want to be careful because this whole tubby thing might become crackhead Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. If, if, if they announce you at right. one championships as Amanda crackhead Bob, I'll, 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 I will feel guilty for your career having taken a day. Oh, game. no. My boss, every time he sees me, he's like, crackhead Bob is in the building. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. But it's because I'm like like zoomies. You know, I'm constantly just yeah. high paced, just going. So that's literally how I am on the mat, too, whether it's in training, com competition. It's just maybe it's the Napoleon syndrome in me, but it's just like I'm always just wanting to win and just wanting to just do really good in any type of role. So when I do the, the high interval training, I try to implement it like my game, and my game is very high paced. So that's exactly how I do it. I like doing high maximum effort exercises for 20 seconds, and then I run to the next station, and I do that literally for uh, 10 minutes straight. And then I'll do a different, another circuit. So I'll do two 10-minute circuits with um, four different exercises. So usually, like, one will be with weights. Like, I'll do, like, a, you know, like, holding onto a weight or kettlebell swings and stuff. And then the next 10 seconds will be more body weight exercises, um, the circuit training. And then once I'm done with that, um, I'll do functional, like, single leg lifts. So I'll do uh, single leg squats, single leg step-ups single leg deadlift, single leg hip thrusters. I'll usually do like four or five exercises, uh, six reps each leg, and I'll do it for three rounds, and I'll end it at that. And then I'll just end stretching. So literally that's probably what a basic workout looks like for me, a lifting session for me, and it takes anywhere from like an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. When you look at an opponent like Tammy, does, does that adjust at all? Do you think about things where you're like, okay, you know that you're super tenacious, right? You're going to have a high output in any match that you ever step in, and that's just how you are. And you can see it in the matches that you do have, right? You're not stalling, and you're not butt-scooting. Like, you're trying to make it happen. So when you go up against someone like her, are you thinking about that in your strength and conditioning work, or, or are you really trying to focus in on, like, specific elements in training with your teammates and, and trying to work, like, nuanced things? Because you guys aren't just or you girls aren't just competitors, right? You're two of the best in the world. So how does that change things back home? So for sure with Tammy, like for my who's number one match with Alex, I was I knew she was going to be the bigger opponent. 
and and not to knock her, but I, I knew that I trusted more in my technique than I did in hers. I feel like I was the more technical fighter. However, she was the bigger fighter. So for like my workouts with Alex, I focused more on strength training. I did focus more on like more power lifting. When any of my circuit exercises, I focused more on like maximum strength to be able to hold someone, you know, you know that's bigger than me yeah. down. So instead of doing the second circuit, you know, with just body weight, I did two circuits with exercises. Now with Tammy, yeah. it's it's I'm not saying she's not strong because she is strong, but with Tammy, it's more methodical game. It's more I have to be strategic. Yeah. So nothing changes she's a in chess the, player. Exactly, nothing changes in the yeah. circuit training. My circuit training is the same. In the training room, it's different. I've done my homework. I've watched my matches with her previously against her. Um, I've seen the do's and the don'ts. You know, I've tried new things. I've rolled with different people and um, almost putting myself in the position that she would go for. Or if I know that they're really good at doing what she does, I say, hey, be hell-bent on trying to get this, do this. But again, I'm also ready for the element of surprise that she chooses to not do what she normally does. Yeah. So I am I feel like I've prepared myself for anything. Uh, most importantly, I've done my homework and... And I feel like I, I, that's the only thing different with her is to be more strategic and methodical. So, so interesting thoughts on this. Uh, decision losses are unique in that it's hard as an athlete when it's not a definitive loss to know 100% where the improvements were, right? So to have two losses to the same person and both by decision, like what do you take away from that? What do you look at and go, okay, if I'm going to get this person, and I've always thought that the third matchup between two people is always the most dangerous for the person that won before, because you really know, you know, this is probably going to be the last one, right? So it's go time. And you have, you know, 24 minutes of evidence to really look in and go, okay, this is 100% how I'm going to pull this off. So when you think about your matchup with her, big stadium, big event, third time you girls meet. How do you make this happen? So for sure, it's, it's again, doing my homework. So I know you talked about the decision loss. The first time I went against her, I mean, she was even at the end of the match. She, like, she, she looked over at her brother, and she was like, I didn't win, like, at the end of it. And I thought mm. I did, you know, I thought I had won. I thought I did pretty good. And then when they raised her hand, she was even like, what? Like, she yelled out, what? I won? Like, you know, she was surprised. Yeah. So... The first match, for sure, at the who's number one, I was like, you know, it was close, but I feel like I edged her. You know, I feel like I had the, the top edge, but, you know, the, the ref saw it differently, I guess, the scoring and right. the rule system. But the second time we went against for the consolation rounds, I mean, it, although it was a decision, she did grab my back. You know, I went for a half-assed um, jumping triangle, which led her to cross my leg across, and she went inverted, which she's really fucking good at the bolo. So, you know, she went, she got her four. In my head, I'm like, she won, she got you know, four points, even though it was a decision yeah. loss, it was, she rightfully owned that, that win, you know, gotcha. she ended up controlling my back for at least 12 minutes of the match. I was able to escape towards the end. And, you know, I came out like a bat out of hell, uh, trying to give her everything <laughs> I got. But, um, so the difference between those last two matches is I was preparing for a tournament. I was preparing for, you mm. know, a set of 16 girls that I didn't know who I was going to go against, you know. For this one, yeah. I have one specific opponent, and I have footage of my previous matches. And not to say that Tammy's a, a one-trick pony because she's not. She's a really well-rounded fighter. She's got a good top game. She's got a good leg lock game, you know, given that her brother has been, you know, interacting with a lot of, like, the leg locks and stuff. Um, and she's got a really, really good bottom guard game. So, but... What they're good at is their inversion, their barambolos, taking the back and stuff. It's something that's, you know, giving her the notable wins that she has today is from her doing her bolos and stuff. Um, she's well known for that, her and her brother. So, again, me doing my homework, making sure I don't make those same mistakes, watching that footage, seeing what legs I should have controlled, which angles I should have cut, more pressure, no pressure, passing on my knees, passing on my legs. So I feel like the difference in this matchup is it's not – me preparing for random, don't know who I'm going to go against, 16 girls in a bracket, you know. Now it's just me yeah. and her. I've had time to do my homework, to study, and to put in the work, so. Does that bring about a different level of nerves for you? Almost. It almost doesn't. Like, I feel like I should be pressured, but I'm not pressured to want to win. I feel like I, I know that I've seen the mistakes, you know. It's like you can't yeah. – I try to practice them in – try to not make the same mistakes in training, you know? I feel like more than anything, she's probably feels a little bit pressured to have to 
make sure she solidifies the win because then if right. you know when I come out with the win it's gonna be like let's go again we got to do this again we got to run it back you right. know versus if if she's so hell bent on winning and she comes out with the win she's probably gonna be like all right give me someone new I don't want to do this again you know right, so right. I feel like the pressure more than anything is probably on her versus on yep. me. How did the whole one FC thing come about for you? Because this is what they're doing with grappling is really cool. And putting them on the same cards as other fights is it's doing I I feel like it's doing so much for the sport in a completely different view than you're finding in the ACC or IBJJF or these other promotions because you're sandwiched in other cards. So people are coming along for something and they're finding grappling instead of getting on the stream just because you happen to be a nerd for grappling and, and you can't wait to watch these matches. So how did that come about and what does it mean to you to be in that promotion internationally fighting and, and being on the card? So, um, yeah, I was honestly, I think they were looking for more of a, a 115 pool and I originally signed for 115 pounds and, um, they had given me an opponent and I was set to fight her four different times in the last year. And four different times, um, my opponent, I guess, wasn't ready or had unforeseen circumstances happen to where she had to pull out. So I was kind of like a teeter-totter. They were telling me I was on. I was training for like an, a month and a half. And then they would notify me that the match wasn't going to be happening. And then they would hit me up again and say, okay, the match is happening. And then same thing. It happened four different times. And then it just got to the point where the year was ending. And I was like, you know what? I, I've been on the shelf for probably you know seven eight months i can't i can't keep just sitting and waiting you know so i just told them i was like hey and uh it's also difficult for me uh, my frame i'm around five 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 four five five and for me to maintain because they do the hydration tests um for me to maintain like 116 pounds 117 pounds that was kind of like difficult you know like me naturally yeah, i like especially walking. with your output yeah like me naturally i like walking around like 119 120 so so holding, trying to maintain that for, you know, and then being on and off, on and off, yeah, not, not yeah. being when they were telling me I wasn't having a match to hold off, you know, I couldn't pig out or want to enjoy the things that I enjoy, you know? <laughs> so I was like, fuck, okay, now I got to be ready for when they do call me, you know? So finally I was like, hey, if you have anyone at 125, I know the pool for the 115 girls, it's still growing and it's still small. I see you guys are focusing on the 125 now. I was like, just throw me in there. You know, I'm probably going to give up yep. at least five pounds, 10 pounds, but just throw me in there. I'll, I'll take whoever. And um, then they finally hit me up, I want to say like around March. And they told me, hey, I think we have a match for you for 125. And off rip, I knew I was like, okay, it's either going to be Tammy or Bianca. And sure enough, it was, yep. it was Tammy. So I was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. More than anything, I would love to run it back again. So let's do it. Yeah, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an awesome event. How do you ma how do you manage that kind of weight? Like that's such an uh, that's such a tough thing to do to have the output that you're talking about. I mean, even if we reflect a little bit on the, your training, like that's a lot of sweat. That's a lot of calories burned constantly, especially if you're training like that. On top of your time on the mats, your time teaching, right? All of this stuff is output. And if you're already someone lean with a high metabolism, like what do you eat to maintain? You must just be consuming food constantly. So that you see, my husband's always just like you're you're constantly snacking, constantly eating. So the thing is, for sure I'm not one person that just wakes up and eats. I just it's just never I just grown into this habit of kind of like fasting almost. Like I do like almost mm -hmm. intermittent fasting. My last meal could be like at eleven o'clock at night, but I won't have my first meal until the following day, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's like I'll go and that's just like just feel? A, yeah, just like I'll wake up in yeah. the morning, I'll do morning class, you know, and like I'll train. It's probably like an hour and a half. And um, I just won't get hungry, especially if I dr do drink, like, some coffee. I hadn't drank coffee for, like, almost three months. I had, like, my first shot of little culotta, like, two days ago. Um, but I, you know, try to give up some coffee, make some little lifestyle changes. But um, yeah. especially when I'm drinking coffee, man, I feel like I just won't eat, you know. And I'll just, again, and I'm already a high-drive energy person. So it's, like, I've, I'm going, constantly going at, like, 110 speed um, but one thing I did incorporate that I, I, in the last two years, three years that I've noticed that has helped me maintain my weight and just honestly just made me feel better was, um, I was a vegetarian before and like, you know, a lot of people when they think, oh, you're a vegetarian, you must be so healthy. And I'm like, yeah, I love vegetables. I love my greens. I love my fruits, but it's like, you could be an unhealthy vegetarian as well. And not everybody 
everybody's gut or body takes on to legumes, like beans and stuff as well. And it's like, I love beans. Yeah. I'm, I'm Hispanic. You know, I grew up in a, a Spanish household where my mom cooked beans like every day. But beans just don't love me back, bro. They just don't love <laughs> me back. Like, I felt the unhealthiest and like just yeah. kind of like the grossest when I was a vegetarian. I just never felt like good if that's to say you know like i just always felt like either bloated or just you know like full all the time or just you know and i'd be like i ate it's been six hours i should eat again but i still feel like gassy like so i started incorporating a fish like fish like some seafood i've always loved fish and seafood and all that stuff so i started eating um you know my air my husband eric likes to go out um on his canoe or his kayak and he likes to go fishing so he'll catch me fresh fish almost like every week and he'll bring me like nine, nice. seven or nine fish. And that I kind of like, I'll eat that throughout the week and stuff or I'll incorporate like shrimp in my diet and stuff. And I notice that I stay fuller and I just feel better when I eat like that protein source. So, um, yeah, for the most part, I like to eat a lot of avocados, like fruits, uh, salads. I love white rice. I know a lot of people are like, no, brown rice. Or... I eat white rice every day. Dude. I'm like, you don't white rice. Oh, come on. It. I'm just like, I wash my rice probably like 10 times, but I'm like, we got to look at the facts, man. I'm like, white rice has been around for years. We were just having this conversation with some of my guys um, at the gym because they were like, you don't eat brown rice or anything. And I'm like, I don't I do not do brown rice. Brown rice is not something that I, I feel good when I eat. For some reason, I, I love white rice. And it's something I've eaten growing up. Um, Again, I wash my rice. I know a lot of people don't wash their rice. I wash my rice like probably 10 times to take out all the starch. And I like to cook it with some garlic, some onion, some olive oil, and some salt. And I could just scoop that right from the bowl itself. Um, But white rice has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like our ancestors have eaten. Brown rice is like the new fad, you know? Like White rice is just, it's a nothing. Yeah. It's not not good or bad. I mean, it's calorically low it's nutritious yeah it, it's nutrition no no it's nutritionally empty it's like a nothing like yeah but like corn. i like white rice yeah. better than i like brown rice yeah and if your output is as much as yours is who fucking cares yeah and, and like, like it's not that big of a deal yeah my husband was telling me he was just like why is it that you like burn so many calories like you know i'm like dude let's look at it this way I was just like, giving my mindset, given my high drive, given my competitiveness, I'm like, if we're in a training room and you have 10 guys that are around your size, I was like, you're going to have a fairly easy training day, you know? I was just like, given my size, my mentality, my competitive, my drive, I was like, if I'm in the same room with you, with those 10 guys, I was like, I'm probably going to burn three times the amount of calories that you're going to burn, if not four. You're just going to have to work a lot harder. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, the effort that I'm putting out, I was like, it's 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 so different. And he sees it too, because sometimes the guys on the mat are like, dude, I thought you were the nice one. Like, you know, like they'll go with me and then they'll go with him. And they're like, what the fuck? And it's just, again, because I'm just constantly high-paced, just not nonstop. Yeah. So... I just told him, I was like, I feel like I just burn more. Like, the effort is just a little bit more because I'm smaller. And it's just, I'm probably just burning a lot more calories than he is. So I asked I asked Jasmine Rocha the same question. And I'm curious, given your size, like, what is your optimal male training partner when you're in there? Because to some degree, you, d- you do have to be careful. And this isn't just for male training partners. This is true for females, too. You have to be concerned with getting injured and the reality is if and this is true for me if you're training with somebody who's just much bigger than you the risk for injury is higher because the leverage system the strength to weight ratio everything right so that being said there's also a high value in being able to utilize your techniques against someone who's bigger than you right that's a really useful skill set not only in the mats but also self-defense right if you're walking down the street by yourself no one gives a shit about weight difference right so you better be able to hold your own so when you're in the academy and you're training, how do you select for training partners, size? How frequently do you go with people that are a lot bigger than you? Like, what is that mix that you look for to further your skill, but also ultimately keep yourself safe? So my guys are pretty good, but I have this, I just have, it's a problem, but it's a blessing and a curse, but I just will never say no to a role. Like, I won't, yeah. I won't. I like rolling with the big guys. I like rolling with the small guys. Me generally, pr- training-wise, training partner, I prefer any guy because it's hard to find a, another female my size, like my frame. I prefer any training, yeah. you know, 
uh, gentlemen around 150 to 170 pounds. That's like my preferred. I feel like that's optimal. In my eyes, it's weird, but I feel like we're the same size. It's just the Napoleon syndrome I talked about. It's just weird. But um, I just won't ever say no to a role. And it's, again, a blessing and a curse. And these last two weeks, more than anything, my husband's been really like, like watching me training whether i've gone to cross training he's actually had to tell me to say no don't roll you can't roll with him and it's hurt me to have to tell these guys like i'm sorry i can't like i have a match coming up i'm just gonna go with the smaller guys you know i don't like doing that i like going with everyone and like you said that if you're ever caught in a self-defense situation like that's my biggest thing as to why and I'm saying I don't believe in like the women's only classes or like the women's only self-defense. That's why I like the whole unisex training because I'm like, God forbid yeah. I get attacked. It's not really going to be by the same, you know, gender. It's going to be by my counterpart, which is going to be a male that are probably trying totally. to attack me or, you know, snatch you, me up on the you street. You saw the video, right? You saw the video of that girl. She was in the gym. That dude came in. Have yeah, dude. Yes, I saw that. Had she had known some jujitsu, like, she probably would have freaking... Rip his little arm off or something, yeah. put him to sleep, you know? It's just like, uh, it doesn't take, I don't know. It, it. I think about this a lot because, like, you can get it twisted. And this this is one of the reasons that, like, I like to train striking, too, just from a knowledge standpoint. Like, I like to understand the ranges and the distance, what it feels like to be standing in front of someone, not sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. And you can get it twisted and think that you're invincible when you start training a lot of jujitsu because you feel confident and it changes your personality. And you're like, whoa, you know, someone that used to give me a lot of problems doesn't anymore. I must be getting better, whatever that is. But the reality is like out there, when you're trying to defend yourself, you don't get to choose your opponent. You don't get to choose their size, the environment. You don't get to choose what's under your feet around you. And so if you're not used to putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation, with someone who maybe challenges you from a size standpoint, a strength standpoint, a quickness standpoint, then you're really doing a disservice to like y- your understanding and your skill set. And y- you see in, hi- in high-level competitors like yourself and people who have done this a long time, you don't wear rose-colored glasses about this. You know what's up. And I feel like a lot of times that's missed on the hobbyists. 100%, I agree. Like, I learned early on because my husband's a pro MMA fighter <laughs> going inverted when someone's trying to punch you in the face is stupid the worst thing to do a hundred percent so it's like I completely agree like and it's 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 funny because a lot of like jujitsu guys there's been I'm not gonna sit here and say I haven't gotten into any altercations you know on on the mat right. off the mat with other jujitsu guys and like my it always brings me back to like dude jujitsu is one thing like you don't want to yes. step foot in this world like you can be confident on the mat but if you're gonna get mouthy and step out here homeboy it's a whole different other world and me again I'm not over here cocky because I know jujitsu like I can take on a guy like you know no I know my place especially as a female like I know there's no way in hell I'll ever hit stronger than a guy I know there's no way in hell I'll probably be standing if a guy were to punch me square in the face so it's like I pick and choose my battles as well but I'm not dumb but I also know that going inverted when I'm getting attacked by a guy it's probably going to be the worst worst thing for me you know and speaking on the whole self-defense thing I actually they did a seminar when I was teaching back at an academy in Palm Beach Gardens um they bought Hoyler in and uh I remember he like they put me on the on the floor and he was like okay you're at the beach you're laying down he was like um and you know just lay there he was like I want to see how you're going to defend yourself if something were to happen to you and I was like okay you know so I laid down me being a black belt I'm like okay I, I might be able to get out of this you know so he was like, try not to use jujitsu. And I was like, okay, try not to use jujitsu, twitch, twitch. I was like, oh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> so I was laying on the ground and out of nowhere, dude, Hoyler like gets in my guard while I'm laying like supposed to be on the beach on the sand. And yeah. he's just like, I'm a 200 pound guy and I'm about to start laying on top of you. What are you going to do to get me off of you? And, and he said this in my ear while I was laying down. And I kid you not, all my hair stood up. And in that moment, it was like fight or flight. I was like, what the, this is uncomfortable. And I like started like, yeah. you know, going, doing jujitsu. I ended up putting him like in an arm bar. And it took me probably a solid like 40 seconds to do so. But he was like, that was good. That was actually really good. He was like, but I'm going to show you a different way. He was like, I'm supposed to be 200 yeah. pounds. He was like, and this is like the real world. This is unexpected. And you're at the beach in a bathing suit, you know? He was just like, right. let me show you a simple way. 
And he showed me just about the simplest way to get someone off you, create space, get them off you in about 15 seconds with minimum effort. And in that moment, I realized, I was like, wow, jujitsu can be definitely like a false sense of like, of, of protection yeah. going out there, you know, yeah. like that's when I realized I was like, bro, the self-defense world and the, the actual sports jujitsu world are two different animals, They're man. Different. Two different animals. They're different. And the, the more I talk to people that have done this for a long time, the more that that becomes more like crystal clear. Right. And that's uh, Hoyler's done some seminars with us too. And, uh, he does the Gracie combative stuff. And there's a couple like basic principles, right? Like real base, base level stuff that you would probably learn your first month in a jiu-jitsu class. And those are actually the most useful, right? Like how to block a punch the right way so you don't get hit in the face. And back to your original point about jiu-jitsu being fun, right? You like putting the gi back on because it's fun. It's a step back. You get to play around with this stuff. You can get caught up in that and get caught up in the excitement and the funness of that and how it is tricky and like, when you develop tricky, useful tactics, you have such a leg up on the competition, right? If you have some crazy worm guard stuff and you go against someone who just doesn't know it, you are going to feel like you are a far superior, superior mm -hmm. far superior, right? You go 30 seconds with anyone who actually trains mixed martial arts, like the whole everything, like your husband, right? 30 seconds with him, you know real quick what the bullshit is and what the useful stuff is. Because when someone's standing over you and they can hit you or slap you or, or even touch you, right? Now it's a completely different game. And it's so different than what you have like started to think that you would be able to use in any situation. And that's kind of what people actually need to know the further they get into this is like develop that understanding of the two worlds that are, are kind of separate from each other. Yeah. And and just just what was a, also another rude awakening was I've gone to cross train um on the jujitsu days at Killcliff where where my husband trained at uh, and yeah, um yeah. yeah and it was it was it was clear really quick that doing like the whole inverted stuff even on those guys they just know their distance know how to like get in mm -hmm. and get out at pressure not at pressure and there were times where I was getting picked up and thrown and slammed and I was like oh my god like if this was outside on some concrete I would have been folded like a lawn chair like long totally. time ago you get what i'm saying and i was just like man there's there's do's and don'ts there's just some do's and some don'ts when it comes to jujitsu and you're you're meeting those two worlds together so definitely learn that that's why it's so so nutty when you see a guy like tony ferguson do like a, a minari role in the middle of an mma like that really is some insane out there stuff to have the confidence to throw something like that in the middle of a sanctioned fight with yep. someone who's like a stone yep, cold killer. Yep, yep. But Amanda, this poses a question because you've been a fighter your whole life, you know, growing up fighting with your siblings, training jujitsu, competing in jujitsu, your husband's an MMA fighter. You got the tenacity, you have the mindset, you're already over in one. Has it crossed your mind to, to make the change? Sorry. I, I'm sure you probably train mixed martial arts already, right? Your dad taught you boxing when you were younger. That was your first introduction to this whole thing. So how often do you think about it? How frequently are you asked about it? And is that somewhere you want to go? I do get asked about it a lot. Um, I have thought about it, and I've, I've even told my dad, I'm like, if I do one, I definitely want him to train me for it. You know, I feel like it would be very special being that I got into martial arts because of him. Um, but for sure, him and my husband um, would be ones that I would consider as like my coaches for it to train me. Yeah. Um, but I have thought about it, and the only thing that stopped me is that there's not many, there's not much money um, in the MMA coming up. And as of right now, as like a professional grappler, my husband being in the MMA world, he's like, dude, I know yeah. some guys that get paid like chump money, and they're pros. And he's like, what you got going on right yeah. now is good. He's like, and you don't gotta get yeah. punched in the face for it, and you're a girl. He was like, so. He was like, if you ever choose to do MMA, we would have to pick and choose our battles and who you fight for and how much you get paid. He's like, because there's no way in hell you're going to get paid less for what you're doing now to get punched in the face. Like, he's like, no way. And even combat jiu-jitsu. Like, he's like, and I completely agree with him. I'm like, bro, that's literally an MMA fight on the ground. Like, if they want me to do combat jiu-jitsu, totally. you're going to have to pay me more than what I'm getting paid now for jiu-jitsu, you know? And I'm like, a yeah. lot of, again, like, we see it, a lot of some pro MMA fighters that just don't don't make much money and i'm just like that's kind of sucks because they're putting their their investment on the line their bodies what they've with their craft you know what they've spent years and years working on to go and just get paid that amount and i'm like 
until like something changes, you know, I definitely want to go ahead and try it. I definitely do. It's crossed my mind. Whenever my guys have any MMA fights going on, I'm like, can we put the gloves on? I want to train with you. Like, yeah, let's yeah. do it. You know, like, so let's see. I'm still 28. I was like, I still, I feel like I still got like another four, four or five years left to make that decision. You know, I was like, I feel like my prime is, I'm still, I'm just in the beginning of my prime. So we'll see. But it has crossed my mind. I have thought about it, but it's it just is. finding the right organization and just, you know, the opponent. Because being a black belt, I see some of my black belt uh, friends that are MMA fighters that have trouble finding matches and matchups and then the pay fights because no one wants to right. go out there and get beat up by a BJJ black belt in an MMA fight right. and get paid nothing for it, you know? So I see the struggle on both ends. So I'm like, ugh. It really is absolutely insane. When you think about the career trajectory of an MMA fighter, like choose any other sport and compare the amateur to the pro. The difference is that as they go along that line from amateur to pro, they make way more money, right? But the risk on the athlete at the amateur level is the same at the pro. If you're an amateur basketball player, you might, you know, tear your Achilles, tear your ACL, MCL. That could happen at the pro level too. If you're an MMA fighter and you're an amateur, you are getting punched in the face just as hard, just as viciously as the pro. And to make more money on the pro level, so many things have to go your way. You have to be marketable. You have to create a presence for yourself. You have to leverage your opportunities. You have to sign with the right promotion. Yep. And then you got to win every single. Imagine if you had to score a hat trick in every single soccer game you played just to get to the next game. I mean, that's yeah. how insane this yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's like the, the you were in a power position. It, me, it's like the show and the win money. You know, I'm kind of like, damn, you're getting yeah. paid to show up, yeah. But it's like you get nothing if you get your face pounded nothing. in, or if you leave with a broken orbital. Coach, like, trainer, yeah, like dude. you're paying everyone for it. Yeah, so I'm just like, man, it's a tough, tough, tough career choice. It's a tough career so choice. So are man. are you? contracted in with one or do you can you go and compete in adcc in 2024 also so my contract with one i am with in a contract with them for two years and it does allow me to do ibjjf and adcc as long as it's not interfering with any wow. upcoming bouts but those are the only two that i'm allowed so i've been getting you know um, that's incredible i've been getting asked to do other promotions at the moment and i'm just like oh i gotta check in with the team but after this match you know, just because I don't want to um, break any contract, you know, rules yeah. or anything like that. And then I know that they're what they're trying to build up right now. I'm all for it. They're trying to become one of the elite grappling, um, you know, organizations out there, along with obviously ADCC. But um, what they're doing, being like you said, bringing the jujitsu with the MMA and combining the two, it's it's a compliment. It's a great marriage, and it's giving the MMA fighters, MMA fans, uh, a a look, you know, of what the ground game is in an MMA fight. Kind of more of a deeper perspective of what goes into the ground game and what to expect, you know. And who knows? Some guy that's probably just watched UFC for the last ten years, watching grappling, is probably like, I could do that. You know, I don't get punched in the face. It's something yeah. that I think I could do. Like, let me let me go sign up at the the nearest jiu-jitsu school. You know, next week. So I feel like it's 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 right. a good show, like a, a show for jujitsu. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so beautiful about jujitsu is that you can train as hard as you want. Like, let's say that you you trust your training partner, right? Like, you're training with someone, you can go one hundred percent, and and do that multiple times in a row. Whereas in mixed martial arts and Muay Thai and boxing, how many 100% sparring rounds do you have in you in your lifetime? Not that many, especially if you get knocked down or knocked out. So you can go, you can work out super hard in the week, and then you can go bust your ass on the mats, train super, super hard, go all out, submit people, choke them, lock them, do everything, and then do it again and do it again and do it again. So it gives this element to people that are seeking that that you can, you can, a lot of people go in and they get punched one time in the face and they're like, okay. nah, this ain't for me. Nope. <laughs> no, 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 never mind, never mind. So but change of career choice real thing. quick. Yeah. No, and like yeah. even for for me, like we teach six a.m. classes, and sometimes on the drive there, I'm like, are we really doing this? Like it's five thirty, it's five in the morning, and then I get there and yeah. there's like twelve guys show up. I'm like, you guys are fucking crazy. Oh, they're showing up yeah. here to choke each other out. But it's like 
who would do that at five, six in the morning to get punched in the face, you know? And then I, I always tell people, and, like, the way I like to, you know, someone who's never done jiu-jitsu before, I'm like, listen, when I tell you jiu-jitsu is for everyone, jiu-jitsu is for everyone. My One of our True. oldest teammates and, like, students was, like, a 76-year-old professor at, from college that would fall asleep between rounds on the ground, like, on the mat. Or if not, if you were rolling with him, he'd make, like, little noises, like, Oi! like, like, sounds like that. You know, he was older, but it's, like, you don't have to be like a sock in soccer. You have to be a good runner in football. You have to be a, a yeah. big, you know, a, a big player in basketball. You have to be tall. You know, I'm like jujitsu is for everyone, child, woman, man, like any age, you know, like you got the little peewees, you know, two to five year olds that are, they don't have their motor skills yet, but they're over there trying to, you know, throw each other with yeah. their little kicks and like gripping and stuff like that. It's adorable, you know? So I feel like jujitsu is so essential and it's such a, a vital, useful martial arts for an everyday, like, average Joe. Like, and most of my yeah. students are all average. Like, they have jobs, you know. They're not, they're not uh, competitors. Like, if I were to tell you how many competitors I have at my gym, I'd probably say, including myself, probably three. You know, I don't. All my guys are all dads. They're all workers. They all have regular jobs. They're not competitors. And when they do compete, you know, they're training for it. They're doing local tournaments. But it's not like do or die, like how it would be for me. Like it's just fun for them. It's just the experience, you know. So it's like I feel like it's it's such a great, great. I would always advocate for martial arts, for jujitsu, for anyone. Any, any person I meet, I'm like, you want to try jujitsu? And it's not even like that I would tell them to come to my gym. I'll look for any local gyms that I like, and if I know the instructor, I know they run a good program, I know they have a safe, family, fun environment, I'll direct them to them. Like, with no no you know questions asked, I'll call the owner up and say, hey, I'm sending these people out you know, your way. They want to try out the kids' class. They want to try out the women's class. It's like as many people I can get involved in jujitsu, I'm happy. And it doesn't even got to be with me. As long as you're training, I'm so happy that you started your journey. How do you find, like, how do you find training partners that can mimic the, the competitiveness and tenacity of another female of your size? Because I, I see that as a challenge. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I see it as a challenge for females because it seems like there's much less of com highly competitive females than males in total in jujitsu and you're spread out a little bit more right so like maybe vanessa the english is in the uk and jasmine's in florida but she's at this gym and then you're in florida but you're at this gym and so you're all spread out but when you go into the match it's very easy for me to find uh, an athletic 174 pound male and i could find one at probably every single jujitsu academy in san diego and i could find within that 10 of them that compete 10 of them that are really good but don't compete you know like i have a, a palette that i could choose from so how do you train high level jujitsu keep getting better when you have males that you can train with that don't really replicate the flexibility and the speed of an actual female or females but that are developing their tenacity but aren't yeah. really that aggressive yet so for sure it is that's like my biggest thing and that's why i mentioned a lot that i'm usually always the only female or the smallest one in the room because chances are I'm the only girl. But um, it is that yeah. is the most difficult part about finding training partners. What I found is the smaller competitive guys. So I always look like I have one black belt in my gym. His name is Greg Payne. He's my our first black belt. He is like around 145 pounds, but he's super flexible. Like he to me, he's like yeah. the perfect mimic of going against another female you know like no disrespect gotcha. to him i feel like women are like you know we have great yeah. hip movements great flexibility i feel like technique wise like we're super technical and stuff and like he has all those attributes so training with him is gotcha. always a bitch but it's always fun yeah. you know he's out of everyone <laughs> i've trained with i gotta say he's probably one of the the ones that have caught me the most in the gym you know and yeah. it's just because Again, he mimics the whole flexibility, the hip, the technique, like very, very technical because he is also a smaller frame. In the men's world, yeah. he's considered one of the smaller frames, you know? So um, cross-training too. Cross-training. I'm big on cross-training. I'm not with that political stuff of like, you can't cross-train, you can't train here, you train at your own gym. No, I don't host classes on Saturday and Sunday because I encourage cross-training. I like keeping a good relationship with the schools, the local schools around in the area. 
Um, and as a result, you know, when they have open mats, I like bringing my guys over there because they know, like, my guys are good training just as their guys are good training for my yeah. guys and for me. So when it comes to cross training, I like looking for the smaller guys that are wiry, that are fast. And even if they're not just as technical as the women, they're strong. They're stronger than the women that I would normally go against. And, like, just the scrambles, the wire, wiry, you know, the training and stuff is good. But for sure, very difficult to find another another to mimic that. So like um, this past on July 4th, we went to an open mat at a local jujitsu gym here in West Palm and Talita Alencar came and um, she showed up with one of her girls. That's like a, I think she's a purple belt, but also a featherweight. So she was good weight for me, you know, and she's also a good, great, obviously five time, six time world champion. She's like high caliber jujitsu and just training with them alone for that hour and a half, two hours. I was like, man, this is so different. It's just so different. Like it was so much. It was so much fun, but it was also like great because I'm like I I love this. I need this. You know, especially leaving yeah. right before leaving. Like this was the perfect cherry on top to let me know like hey you're in the right direction. You're moving. You're doing everything you're supposed to. And just going against those girls with that flexibility and like moving and all that stuff. Like I I feel like it was it's perfect. It was perfect and it's just so different. There's I. As much as I love my guys, it's just completely different. There's nothing like it. There's nothing to compare. I think that, I think that's important not only for your your jujitsu, but also in your mindset. Like, because here's what happens: you train your academy, you start to know who's who's who, right? You know who who has your number, who's going to give you a tough time. You know who you're kind of going to just dominate with movement or skill, and so you become to some degree, not intentionally, complacent in that. If you're not feeling 100%, maybe you end up rolling with other people that aren't challenging you as much. But when you go to another school, even if it's, you know, you have respect from the professor or whatever and you have a good relationship, people kind of got their school on their back. So they don't want, at the, at the end of it, they don't want to be steamrolled by someone, even if you guys are friends. So it just adds that, um, like when you first get into jiu-jitsu, everything's like 100%. You just have this like it's just tenacious and then as you develop skill yeah it kind of it, it dies down unless you compete but when you go to a new academy someone's just going to give it to you because you're the other you're not from their school right and so i think it's good to get used to stepping into that repeatedly because that keeps your head sharp and going into your own academy is easy the yeah. hardest thing you got to do is wake up and get in your car going to someone else's academy can be challenging sometimes because you know that you're going to have to work and if you don't like working hard, then it's easy to talk yourself out of that. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's equivalent to doing a tournament. Like you know, you walk into another person's Straight gym. Up. Like I tell people, like you know, even when I have my guys guys that just cross train at my gym, like you know, I always like to read the room. It's not that I'm gonna take their head off off rip. I see how they right. roll with my guys, and then I can tell, like, okay, you're coming here to prove something, so I'm gonna make sure you go with me next. You know, but my thing is yeah. like, no one comes into my house and steals my milk from my fridge you know it's just not gonna happen so it's like i'm not expecting me to go over there and then just be like oh yeah you know like come and beat all of us up you know so i'm always right, expecting right. heat but it's the most equivalent thing to a tournament and like um i went yeah. and i cross-trained at next levels next levels um academy in um uh austinville i think it's called austinville in ohio yeah. And I gotta say, man, it was fun, and it was the it was it was crazy because they had a room of like probably thirty guys, thirty guys and girls, and I probably did sixteen five minute rolls that day back to back, and it was literally because it's not often that they get high level female black belts that go near that area. It's really rare. Yeah. So when I went there, and I'm not even joking, like it was like I was finishing up one round, and then you had like the per next person standing there just waiting <laughs> for the round to end so they could be like can we go you know so it was like yeah, literally yeah, that no. and before i knew it dude i was like walking out and i'm like oh, i started at 7 30 i'm like oh my god i told my brother i was like it's 10 29 i was like what we've been here for three hours and like even my husband that night texted me he was like dude are you alive like i, I highly doubt you were training for three hours i'm like why would I lie? I was like, dude, yeah, I'm not yeah. even joking. I did like 16 six-minute rounds back to back. Like I was like, I got on the mat at 7.30 and didn't get off until like 10 o'clock at night. I was like, it was literally back to back nonstop. So it, it was crazy, man. But like just that alone, that whole feel of – in my first round just going with um, 
I think it was the instructor's daughter, just off rip. I'm like, why does she feel so strong? And it was because I had like the jitters, you know, like going into someone else's gym, you get like the, like the first match itis, you know, you're nervous and stuff. So for sure, I feel like that's why I encourage the cross training too, because you get that perspective of like competition. You get those nerves, those first, those first match itis feels where you get your first round and you're like, am I in shape? You start questioning everything that you've done for the last 14 years, you know? Your arms burn again. Yes, finally. you're breathing in yeah. cold air. You know, your legs feel like bricks. Yeah. I swear to you, and I call that first match-itis because it happens till this day for each and every one of my first matches unless I warm up. Unless I warm up properly yeah. and get rid of those jitters, then I'm Gucci. But if I go out there cold as a little brick, oh, my God, the first match-itis is so real. So real. Yeah. Power of the warm-up. It's mm-hmm. uh. You know, so okay, I I got I've got to ask you this because to clarify, I have I've only spoken to you, Jasmine, uh, Amy, and Amy Campo and Vanessa English about this, and I'm curious what your thoughts are because of the growth of female grappling and part of this, like I think part of the pro- the problem of the high level competitors being spaced out is because it's still new, right? Like. Female grappling is growing. It's getting bigger. ADCC is putting a, a lot of focus on growing that part of the, like the business and the promotion. And One FC is obviously doing this. So like, this is growing. Or One Championship, sorry, this is growing. When I talk to males and I talk to females about grappling, there seems to be this level of like cordial respect and appreciation that the female grapplers just have for each other it's very hard to hear you say bad things about the other person. Whereas to talk to like some male grappler for five minutes mm-hmm. and they're willing to just like, they'd be like, Oh, I'd, you know, I'd choke yeah. that guy in a second yeah. or like, yeah. I'm going to. And so from a fan's perspective, I think what this does is even if we don't want that, right? Like I like humbleness and in people like one-to-one, I like humility. I think it's a really good quality. And when you talk to someone like yourself, who's humble about their competition, it feels genuine and really good. From a promotional side, talking trash, even if you hate the person, elevates the viewership, right? Like someone like Gordon Ryan. You might not like Gordon Ryan, but he's so relentless in his trash talking that it makes you want to tune in because you kind of want to see him lose. So within the the group of, of highly competitive female grapplers, I would assume that you all know each other you're of a select few of really talented females in this art. How, how can that change? Do you think it needs to change or can this part of the sport continue to grow with the level of friendship and appreciation that you all have for each other? I think that the, the appreciation and the friendship comes from there not being such a big pool. So like you said, we all know Mm -hmm. each other. We all know of each other. We all heard of each other. Um, I feel like just, showing like womanhood like sisterhood in the jiu-jitsu community um is important because there's not many of us you know and don't get me wrong i feel like there is there will be times where if you've got you know problems with another girl i'm sure they wouldn't want to talk about it i'm not one to hold back and if i did have a problem with the girl i'd gladly say it or you know call her out on it so um but i just i i'm just a I'm just the type of person that just, I love interacting with people. I love meeting new people. Until you give me a reason to not like you anymore, then I just won't mess with you anymore, you know? And I will gladly say that to your face, you know? Like, I'm just someone who's very straightforward, whether it's I like you or if I don't like you. Um, And a lot of the women I have encountered in the jiu-jitsu world have been really nice. There have been some that have been just straight up, excuse my language, but bitches, you know? Like, and it's like before a match, they're cool. And then after a match, you go with them. And if you beat them, they don't want to be cool with you anymore. And I'm like, well, you're a bad egg. Piss off, you know? Like, I don't want to be friends with you anyways, you know? There's been many times where I've lost to other girls and I'm still like, I still want to be cool. Like, let's train together, you know? I want to get better too. Like, I want to know what you did in that match. Like, let's let's roll. Like, you know, I'm very humble about that. But um, I feel like just because the pool is a lot smaller, that's why we try to keep a good, tight sisterhood. Um, and if I feel like it shouldn't, it shouldn't change. I feel like it shouldn't change unless that's just who you are. If you want to be a B and you're right. not friendly with other females and that's you, then don't, don't fake it. Don't fake the funk, you know, don't try to be nice and right. friendly if you're not really genuinely about that life. Um, but I feel like that shouldn't change as far as like the women, you know, and, and then it's, it's almost cringe when you see like girls being catty or just to even sell yeah. the promotion. I'm not going to lie. I've had some of my guy friends tell me like, Hey, 
tell Tammy before the match, like, you know, no disrespect, but we got to amp up the fight and, like, push her at the weigh-ins or something. And I'm like, you got me fucked up. I was like, because if someone puts their hands on me, whether it's for promotional reasons or not, I'm like, someone's going to get the pause. I'm like, someone's getting jujitsu or not, they push me for a weigh-in video or anything like that, it goes past a jujitsu match. Like, you're getting the pause, my boy. Like, it's that you cross the line of disrespect. So, uh, I feel like just get what you get, give out what you want. So it's like I wouldn't want no one to put their hands on me or be disrespectful to me leading up to a match. And if they were, then you're gonna get what you're given, and I'll give it right back. But I hope you can handle it, you know. But um, I feel like it shouldn't change. I feel like it should. If you're genuinely, no, I, yeah, humble. I think and that it's uh, to keep that. I think it's a good quality, and it's yeah. something I feel like is special about martial arts is that it is this, like, the best knows they're the best because they they keep proving it, right? And unlike other things, you don't have to shout that from the rooftops. And I think to the sisterhood element, it is important because, like you said, it's a small small group of women that are really, you know, continuing to, to pioneer this. You know, they, uh, you have the Hennet stacks of the past that have also helped grow this thing like crazy but it is kind of on all your shoulders to do this and to do that respectfully if possible i think is ideal it's fun as the fan right when you get to see the trash talking and everything but one thing that makes it so cool is you go to a tournament and you see people fight each other right like no one's holding I mean, other than they are literally holding punches but no one's holding punches in a jiu-jitsu match and then at the end for the most part it's a hug and a handshake and a respect. And like you said, it's, hey, I want to get better. Let's train together. Let's figure out a way to, like, you know, you can't get better in jiu-jitsu without another person to help sharpen you. So to see that kind of camaraderie is great. I hope that it can grow like that and continue to, to see more co-main events, more main events, more headlines, more stuff, because the reality is that, like, the female grapplers put on just as spicy as a match as most of the men with the exception of some, like, completely roided-out <laughs> yeah. brick house-looking, yeah, yeah. like, sh Shrek monster fights Godzilla. Like, okay. <laughs> but um, it's awesome. It's really cool yeah. to see, and it's cool to hear that that's something that you value. Yeah, and on top of that, too, like, we got to think, again, the pool isn't so big, and we're still growing in this male-dominated sport. And I'm like, you got little girls watching you, man. Like, I get it. When the guy wants yeah. to be disrespectful, whatever, it's kind of like a, a manly thing to do, you know? Like, you know, it's it's like a, a demeasuring contest. Yeah, you know, it's like a, a demeasuring <laughs> yeah. contest. Who's going to be the, the bigger douche or, you know, who's got to show their authority? But it's like, when, when it comes to being a female, we're feminine. Like, we have that soft characteristic, like... We can still be a fierce, but still be humble and still be um, lead by example. Like the last thing you want to do is have one girl trash talk and be snooty and nasty. And then your daughter's doing that to her competitors. And it's like, do you want to be known as the mother of the disrespectful daughter? Like, you get what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel like we have 100%. all these young girls looking up to us. And I've had so many girls, like younger girls come up to me and they're like, oh my God, you're amazing. We love watching you. And I'm just like, damn, it didn't really hit me until I realized like I got younger kids watching me, you know, like. And sometimes I do got to watch what I say because I'm like, I could be a little ratchet sometimes. And it's like, and, and, but I also don't want to be someone who I'm not. So it's like, okay, maybe I got to be less explicit, but still be who I am. And the person that I am is I, I'm humble. I'm loving, even though I'm fierce and I'm crazy. And I will like freaking try to rip your arm off at the end of it. I'm still going to hug you and say, hey, let's train. Let's meet up sometime, you know? So it's like, I expect the same from my opponents. If they want to get better, if they want this sport to grow, you know? And like you said, the trash sack is fun. It is fun, but it's like do it within limits. You know, don't cross the line. You can make it playful and fun, but it's like when you get to the point where someone puts their hands on, one, you know, one another or if they, they yeah. go too dirty and mention like family or, you know, like low blows and stuff, then it's like, all right. Yeah, that's you're taking bad, it out of taste. Yeah, you're taking it out of perspective. Yeah. You're taking it way out of, out of the, you're crossing the line. So it's like if you want to say, oh, like your jujitsu, like you can't even pass a guard. Fine, you know, if the person can't pass right. the guard, they got to work on passing the guard. You know, that's fun trash talk. But once you go out of those limits, then I'm like, that's too much, too much. Well, you're 100% right. More eyes are going to be on you. You're going to be on Amazon Prime coming up July 14th. One championship out against Tammy. It's going to be awesome. You're going to hold it down for the straw weight. So tune in. I'm, I'm so stoked, especially after getting able, you know, being able to talk to you here for an hour. Um, Tune in, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, man. It's been awesome.
Thank you, Ava. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.